Most people have done the opposite of what you have done. So a lot of people, if they looked at you, they would say, oh, she's just genetically gifted. You know, yeah. and what's interesting is we have a study by Herman Ponzer that came out last year, and it's called Total Daily Energy Expenditure Across a Life Course. And what they showed was between the ages of 20 and 60 years of age, our total daily energy expenditure per, per kilogram of fat-free mass does not change. That means, ladies and gentlemen, especially you ladies out there, your total daily energy expenditure, the amount of calories you burn per day will not change between 20 and 60 if you keep the same amount of activity. Now, the reasons you're seeing differences in the amount that you could eat or your energy expenditure is because of the lifestyle changes. So in Kitty's instance, or in Kitty's example, she's become more active. She's increased her muscle mass or her amount of fat-free mass. She's increased her metabolic rate as a result of increasing muscle mass because we see that Fat-free mass is the number one most influential factor to increasing someone's basal metabolic rate. So we have all these factors that have made this perfect storm where people look at Kitty and say, oh, she's genetically gifted. But Kitty, if you were to pull back the layers of the onion and show them you your body composition 10, 15 years ago, they would see that you're substantially better now. So did you just get better with age or was it your lifestyle? Was it the modifications? It was all the other things that you've done. It has nothing to do with age. Welcome to the Weight Loss for Women podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can eat more, train less, and lose weight in a healthy and sustainable way. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and Saturate, creator of pro-metabolic food supplements and seriously saturated skincare. And today I'm joined by my co-host Craig McDonald and also Brandon Da Cruz. Now, Brandon has been on the podcast before. We did a podcast with him all about uh, daily movement and activity and NEAT, and that's a really, really good one. So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. Now, Brandon is an online nutrition and physique coach. I can't talk today. Um, He's also an internationally published fitness model and also uh, a NPC competitor. And he's just a super nice guy and really, really knowledgeable and really, really attractive. Now he has this signature look that he does when he does his photo shoots that Craig and I love. And Craig has tried to uh, do the same look, but just doesn't quite nail it, um, you know, as much as Brandon does. So we're really we're stoked to have him back on the podcast. And today we are talking about metabolic adaption. Um, so some of the things that we cover in this podcast are how your lifestyle facilitates your health, what metabolism actually is, your energy expenditure across your lifespan, why the scale weight doesn't necessarily measure fat loss, metabolic adaption and how it works, the importance of protein and weight training, creating healthy habits that actually work into your lifestyle, critical thinking when it comes to your health, Um, you know, the process around getting to your fat loss goal versus actually maintaining it and how they're different, why fitness shouldn't be a comparative journey and the importance of accountability and support. So this is another fantastic episode full of amazing uh, takeaways. So as always, please take a screenshot and share your biggest takeaways on Instagram stories um, and tag me at K-I-T-T-Y-B-L-O-M-F-I-E-L-D. Uh, and every month I pick someone who has shared and they go into the draw to win a tub of saturate premium collagen. 
Hi, Brandon. Welcome back to the podcast. We had such great feedback on our uh, first podcast uh, with Brandon on uh, NEAT and activity and how it's such a great tool for not only fat loss, but just better health in general. So if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to it. Welcome again, Brandon. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. It's a pleasure to be back with you guys. And I've got Craig here again, who didn't get a word in edgewise last time. So, you know, maybe... (laughs) Maybe this time he he will, but oh, that's we, fine. I'm I'm happy here to just listen, like everybody else. But we we had a great offline chat, so that's all that matters. That's right. We started with a good that's twenty right. minutes of a uh, of good chatting to begin with. Indeed. I always feel like I should book a two hour podcast because I always sit here and talk, you know, chat the ears off the guests for like an hour, half an hour to an hour. But anyway, um, so today we wanted to talk about metabolism and metabolic adaption and um you know brandon one thing that we see with a lot of women that we work with so you know typically they're in their 40s and 50s and like we told you before they've done a lot of restrictive diets so you know they restrict and then they binge eat and they drink alcohol and they take you know prescription medication and they're not sleeping they've got all this emotional stress so when they come to us they often have like poor sleep you know um uh, hormonal imbalances, menopausal symptoms, um, you know, digestive issues, you know, they're cold all the time. Um, so, you know, I guess all those sort of signs of low metabolic function, but I think, you know, and they'll always say to me, oh, Kitty, you know, like I can't lose weight because I've got my metabolisms wrecked basically. Um, and what we found is when we actually work with them, getting them to do all the basic things that we talked about on the podcast before, it's, it's amazing how quickly those things actually improve. So they start sleeping, their hormones become balanced, you know, their menopausal symptoms disappear. Um, And, you know, I think that people think that it contributes much more than it actually does to their ability to actually change their body composition and improve their health. If that makes sense. So I guess. Yeah. So, so where you're coming from is, is uh, a situation I've encountered with many clients over the years. And really what it comes down to is it's their lifestyle isn't facilitating or putting themselves in the position to respond to nutritional interventions, because let's think about it in the, in a, a wide array or a wide concept. If the rest of your life is in disarray, you're over consuming alcohol, you're super stressed, your sleep is of a low quality. You know, you're not balancing everything else within the context of your lifestyle. Yes, you might be improving your nutrition or you might be really trying or we can go back to the previous podcast where we spoke about the weekday dieter, where they they diet really strictly over restrict themselves during the week. And then come the weekend, they're overcompensating, they're overeating, they're binge eating or they're they're emotionally eating and they don't realize that they kind of block that out. And that's human nature. We, we tend not to focus. We tend to bury our heads in the sand on the things that we do that aren't of the same standard that we hold ourselves to. However, we often magnify what we're doing. And when it doesn't yield the the results that we're looking for or that we expect, we think there's something wrong. And I'll tell you, uh, I've been coaching for 10 years at this point. And I think one thing that I'm really known for is kind of dispelling like the myth of metabolic damage or that someone's uh, metabolism can be broken. And the reason that I've had to do that or that I've spent so much time digging into the literature on what is actually called metabolic adaptation, it isn't metabolic damage, is the fact that I've had so many clients over the years come to me, especially females. This is very prevalent. And not to 
you know, specify to a specific sex, but it is something that I feel like a lot of coaches kind of preyed upon and they've sold a narrative to females where there's something wrong with you. You know what? You yo-yo dieted, you did things wrong and now you're suffering. Now you're damaged and they sell this narrative to them. So they have this self-limiting belief where they think there's something wrong with them. And what they're not realizing is let's take a step back. I always tell my clients, let's take a step back and look at everything else. All right. You might be nailing your nutrition five out of seven days. That's, you know, 70% of the week give or take. And now let's look at the wrecks of the context of your lifestyle. Your sleep is shit. You're overly stressed. You're a mother and you're a businesswoman. You have all these other things within your lifestyle that wouldn't facilitate the body composition that you're looking for. Yet you're magnifying in the fact that you're not responding to a diet. So it doesn't have to do with your metabolism. And, and there's a big misconception within metabolism because a lot of people refer to, or when they think about metabolism, it's from a very basic perspective. And they think about it just as the amount of calories they can consume and maintain their weight on. But metabolism encompasses so much more than just what we eat. You know, metabolism, if we were to look at like a physiological definition, it's the sum of all the chemical processes our body goes through to keep us alive and the energy we expend through all those processes. And how I try to conceptualize or how I try to explain this to my own clientele is your metabolism acts almost as like a thermometer and it's it's looking it's measuring various inputs and outputs from both our body and our environment which then determines our calorie needs and our calorie expenditure and it's an adaptive and reactive system it's this is something that's never static it's never like your metabolism is damaged and that's it there's no rectifying it's this broken. there's no never going to be fixed yeah. Exactly. And it's important to realize this as the metabolism is always changing and it's always adapting based on different factors. Like, you know, for instance, one of the things that's going to be hugely influential is going to be the quantity and the quality of the food you eat, but it's also going to be how hard you train, you know, how active we are on a daily basis, our stress levels, our sleep quality, among many other factors. So when I hear people speak about metabolism and they only view it through the context of metabolic rate, so like basal metabolic rate, they're kind of discounting all the other aspects of metabolism or all the other aspects and components that actually make up our metabolism because metabolism in actuality is a four compartment model. It is four components that make up the total amount of calories you burn per day, AKA our total daily energy expenditure. And then I'm sure you guys can relate to this. We'll often have, I'll tell you from my own experience, I constantly have new clients come to me and they'll make references and they'll say that someone else has a fast metabolism or a slow mm -hmm. metabolism. It's always in reference to someone else. And what they really mean by that is that person either burns a large amount of calories per day, so they have a high total daily energy expenditure, or that person burns a small amount of calories per day, so they have a low daily energy expenditure. So we have to realize that metabolism is so much more than just our, our basal metabolic rate. And so another thing that I get, another situation I often encounter, I know you two are going to be able to relate to this, is I'm sure you have a lot of women that come to you and they tell you these stories where they'll say that they had such a fast metabolism, you know, and high metabolic rate during their college days as compared to now that they're in their thirties and forties. And at this point I've encountered this hundreds of times. So I always have a very similar conversation with these clients. And what I do is I ask them to tell me what their days were like, what they look like when they were in college. And during these time periods where they had the body composition that they desired and what they want to get back to. 
and what's interesting is it's always a very similar answer. They tell me how they had to walk to class every day. They participate in rec sports. They were hugely active, but they're not saying it like that. They're just like, oh, I trained all the time. You know, I was in gymnastics. You know, I went out to the club on the weekends, like all these activities. Yes, they drank. They did other things, but it was balanced out. And what they don't realize is the true difference in what they believe their metabolic rate was. And, you know, they're, what they're thinking is that their metabolic rate is slowing down is actually the fact that they went from being super active earlier in life to now sedentary and working sedentary jobs. And now what they're doing is spending most of their time in front of a computer, you know, working, and then they're going home and watching Netflix. So it's like when I really, you know, pull back the layers of the onion with them and I show them, listen, let's look at the, the context of your full day. Don't just think about your exercise activity. And that's why I'm so heavily, you know, I'm so big on need. I'm like, let's look at why you can't eat nearly as much and maintain the same body composition because your lifestyle is completely different. I was going to say, Brandon, would you agree to like a lot of the women that I speak to, they tell me that same sort of story and then they're like, you know, Corona hit. So I'm less active. I was drinking way more. I was so stressed. Then obviously they're binge eating too because they're like, I eat the shit food. And they're like, all of a sudden, I, like you said, I've got this unfavorable body composition or weight. And it's like, well, compare your lifestyle 10 years ago to what you're like. You're if I look now. at myself, like when I was in my 20s, I was I was skinny because I didn't train and I took a lot of drugs and I drank, but I had, <laughs> I, I had high output. Like I worked a lot and Absolutely. walked a lot. But I look a lot better now and I'm so much healthier. But look at my lifestyle now. Obviously, I'm not drinking every fucking weekend. I prioritize sleep. You know, I eat so much better. I get 10 to 15,000 steps a day. So is it that but my kidding, metabolism You is- are the exception to the rule. That's it. So here's the thing. You're the exception. You've done the inverse. Most people have done the opposite of what you have done. So a lot of people, if they looked at you, they would say, oh, she's just genetically gifted. You know, yeah. and what's interesting is we have a study by Herman Ponzer that came out last year and it's called Total Daily Energy Expenditure across a life course. And what they showed was between the ages of 20 and 60 years of age, our total daily energy expenditure per per kilogram of fat-free mass does not change. That means, ladies and gentlemen, especially you ladies out there, your total daily energy expenditure, the amount of calories you burn per day will not change between 20 and 60 if you keep the same amount of activity. Now, the reasons you're seeing differences in the amount that you could eat or your energy expenditure is because of the lifestyle changes. So in Kitty's instance, or in Kitty's example, she's become more active. She's increased her muscle mass or her amount of fat-free mass. She's increased her metabolic rate as a result of increasing muscle mass because we see that fat-free mass is the number one most influential factor to increasing someone's basal metabolic rate. So we have all these factors that have made this perfect storm where people look at Kitty and say, oh, she's genetically gifted. But Kitty, if you were to pull back layers of the onion and show them you your body composition 10, 15 years ago, they would see that you're substantially better now. So did you just get better with age or was it your lifestyle? Was it the modifications? It was all the other things that you've done. It has nothing to do with age. And I totally agree with that. And I love that because I see, and it sort of really, this annoys me a bit is, and I think women, it's like they're helpless. And I see these comments on posts where they say like, oh, you know, but I'm in my fifties and my metabolism slowed down and I've hit menopause. And, you know, I'm like, but that's not very fucking empowering. Like be empowered knowing that you absolutely can, you, you can get the body you want, the health you want, if you do the right things. It's not your age. It's not, it's it's your lifestyle, you know, and I just see them so many times going, oh, I can't do, I can't, I'm never going to be able to fix it. All is lost. But it's like, you know, if you're listening to this, I think you're like, and you've done it heaps with your clients, Brendan. So we like women in their fifties who've lost 
10 kilos, improved their muscle mass, got rid of their menopausal symptoms, doing all of the things that we speak about, you know, that we spoke about on the podcast, you know, tracking their food, getting enough protein, getting nutrient dense foods in, getting more sleep, getting sun, lowering stress, you know, like it's, it's not sexy and it's not quick, but it, you, you can, right? Like you can, yeah, it works. (laughs) Absolutely. So it's the most effective things. It's generally the boring basics that work best, but no one wants to hear that. They don't want to hear about, listen, you have to change your entire lifestyle. And I know that sounds overwhelming when I say that you would rather me sell you a quick fix on a metabolic reboot or a reset or a detox. I can't give you that because a, I've been working with way too many people over the years and I'm far too experienced to sell you bullshit. So the thing is we have to realize that you have to stop listening to these narratives and these myths And that's one reason why I touch on so many of these topics, because we have to realize that our psychology impacts our physiology. So if you think you're damaged, if you think you're broken, if you think there's something wrong with you, not only is that going to impact your actual physiology, how your body responds to what you're doing, it's also going to impact and put self-limiting beliefs on your behaviors. So now, for instance, if you're dieting and you hit a stall, you're going to think you're going to automatically attribute that stall, say in scale weight. This is very prominent with females. I have this conversation with my women clients all the time because there's obviously fluctuations in the menstrual cycle. I don't like, you know, I do weekly averages, but I like comparing one week of the cycle to the next month, you know, the next cycles one week. And I do that because there are so many fluctuations and deviations, whether that be due to the menstrual cycle, due to hormonal fluctuations, due to weight uh, or to, to water imbalance, training, uh, sodium, (laughs) cortisol, training, and trained legs yesterday, jumped on the scale. It's the, I saw 66.1 yesterday. 66.9 66.9 today, eating the same food, but I just did a heavy leg session. So sometimes I'll actually do this as a, as a thought experiment with my clients. And I'll say, listen, I'm going to give you a refeed and I'll bump up the carbohydrates by 200 grams. And with that 200 grams, you have to realize that there's about three to four grams of water that comes with that. So it's 200 grams of scale weight in food. So 200 grams times another four. So that's a thousand grams. So with that, that is um, going to be two, uh, 2.2 pounds that they're going to increase on the scale. They see that scale weight increase and they automatically freak out. But here's the thing, that 200 grams, they were in a, already an 800 calorie deficit. So we're literally at energy balance, but they've gained weight. And here's the thing. I always try to extrapolate that out to say, listen, if I dehydrated you, your scale weight would be lower, but you have not dropped any body fat or improved your body composition. You're going to be flat and you're not going to be feeling that great. Your performance is going to actually be deteriorated. So we have to realize that we are not our scale weight. You know, scale weight is, is yes, one metric of tracking the energy content of, of your body, essentially, meaning where is your energy balance at? Are you in a deficit? Are you in a surplus? Or are you at energy balance or at maintenance calories? However, it is not the be all end all metric. And I always have this conversation with clients because there's a massive difference between your scale weight and your weight loss and fat loss. And what we're really looking for is fat loss. And I have so many females that come to me that have, you know, they're not in the greatest situation. You know, when they come to me, lack of sleep, not a good training program, not periodized nutrition with training. They have this yo-yo dieting history. And so I get them on a, a very solid, you know, periodized training program that matches their nutrition and they start body, the, uh, the process of body recomposition. So they're gaining lean tissue while decreasing body fat. So their scale weight is a moving. 
So they're worried, but they look substantially better. They feel stronger. They feel more empowered. So I detach them from the scale often. I work with a lot of US clients. So what I'll have them do is actually put their scales in kilograms because the conversion doesn't register with them. You know what I mean? Because obviously I'm used to working with clients 2.2 pounds per kilogram. However, in their mind, when they see fluctuations of 200 grams on the scale, 500 grams on the scale, it doesn't register in the same context. And so they don't get that emotional attachment to that scale. And they're only looking at their body composition. They're looking at what are, you know, they're looking for, what do my clothes look like or feel like, you know, what do I look like in my clothes? How do I feel? What do my friends say? Let's, let's focus on some of these other external variables. And so, you know, we have to stop, we have to look past some of the charlatans in our industry that sell these things like metabolic damage and a broken metabolism and things like starvation mode and things like that, because we have to realize that a lot of times those same people that promote those mythologies with our industry have like a reboot to sell with it. And that's, you should always look at that as something like, you know, that's kind of self-serving because they're trying to promote a product attached with that. Yeah. True. true. Would you say though, Brandon, because I like what you said, like, because you know, these women, they come to us and they have like it's metabolic adaption, which means that you can fix it. So yes, you have, you're experiencing things like poor sleep and low temperature and pulse and, you know, all of these hormonal imbalances, digestive issues, but it just means that your body has adapted to the crazy dieting and the stress and that you can actually, you can fix it if you do the right, you can improve it basically is what you're saying. 100%. So metabolic adaptation wouldn't really refer to like the stress and the sleep and things like that. But from the process of dieting itself, like, for instance, let's let's dive into metabolic adaptation as a concept. So your audience understands it a little bit better, because I know there's a lot of myths and misconceptions about this. So let's think about it from the fact of when our goal is to lose body fat and improve our body composition, we need to create an energy deficit. We know that. So we need to lower our food intake and or increase our energy output so that we're burning more calories than we're consuming. However, as we go through that process and we lose body fat and we lose body weight, the amount of energy our bodies need needs reduces as we're now lighter, leaner individuals. So it's natural that our energy expenditure, the amount of calories we burn per day goes down. And so metabolic adaptation refers to the collection of physiological adaptations our body goes through in response to changes in our energy intake and body composition and how those changes impact our energy expenditure. And here's the thing. When most people talk about metabolic adaptation, they only do so in like the negative side. They're only talking about the dieting-induced metabolic adaptations um, or the things that happen. But really, in actuality, metabolic adaptation happens in both directions. So, Kitty, like you're referring to the fact that these things can be not only fixed, but they can, you know, reverse themselves. That's 100% true, but no one hits on that. So, you know, most know that when we go into a calorie deficit and lose weight, our body adapts by down-regulating certain metabolic processes to conserve energy and decrease our calorie expenditure. But this also happens in the exact opposite direction. So when we eat more calories and we gain muscle, like in the case of body recomposition, or we even gain weight in general, such as in a reverse diet or a building phase, our body is going to adapt by upregulating other metabolic processes that increase our energy expenditure. And that's one of the issues that I have because a lot of people, they only focus on the negative. And so when they speak on metabolic adaptation, the reason that they attach this damage to it is that they they focus solely on the reduction in metabolic rate that occurs as a result of dieting and losing weight. But that's only one piece of the puzzle. And so a lot of people, you know, what I really try to get out there is that our metabolisms are extremely adaptive. And what that means is it's not just adaptive in a negative way, because if that was the case, we would have never survived throughout Mm -hmm. the course of, of evolutionary history. 
our bodies are adaptive in both ways, both to underfeeding and overfeeding. It'll adapt downwards and it'll adapt upwards. And actually what we see in the research is something called adaptive thermogenesis, which refers to the fact that we experience a larger drop in energy expenditure than we'd expect purely based off of total weight and body fat that we've lost during a cut. And so this decrease in energy expenditure comes from a combination of factors. So a lot of people, they focus solely on the metabolic rate. And that's when, you know, we have why we have these myths around like metabolic damage, but really the biggest adaptations that we see that cause a drop in energy expenditure actually come from all the other aspects besides basal metabolic rate. And so it's usually the biggest one is going to be reductions in need. And that's why I focus so heavily on it. And so what you know, if you guys go back to the previous podcast, realize that we we see a slight decrease. So I, I won't deny that we see that in the literature. It's a slight decrease in basal metabolic rate, but there's more substantial aspects to metabolic adaptation that are within our control. So that should be empowering. Like, listen, most of what we see in metabolic adaptation is from the need. So if you're conscious of your activity, you keep your steps up, you're going to help to eradicate some of those adaptations that a lot of people experience during the dieting process. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Craig, are you going to ask a question? Oh, I was just um, thinking about, <clears throat> you know, you talk about those those four components of the energy expenditure, which is obviously your your um, your BMR, then your your need levels, um, uh, your ability, like your your um, macro yeah, so the thermogenesis, four- and then and then your your your, your uh, exercise activity, which is generally your, your strength training, but <clears throat> in a lot of cases where. And I think there was more research that kind of come out more recently that when it comes to, um, you know, like, like menopause and like that belief is as you get older, that things slow down. And the biggest factor around that from what I actually see is when you actually look at those four components in that order, when you actually go in the reverse, so the exercise activity, even though it burns, like your weight training burns, quote unquote, less calories on a per session basis, because if you do, you, you work it out and we actually did this as an experiment. Mm-hmm. On a leg day, we did, you know, a couple of sets of squats, leg presses, you know, lunges and stuff. It's like six minutes of total work. You know, a set of squats might take 10 oh, to God. 20 seconds or something, depending on how many reps you're doing. Like it's six minutes of actual, even though you're in the gym for 90 minutes, it's six minutes of total work. So you're not actually burning many calories on a per session basis, but it's obviously that that effect for the next 24, 48 hours as you're recovering requires energy. You don't recover for free. You need mm-hmm. uh, energy to do that. But that is the only thing that's ultimately affecting the biggest component of energy out, which is your, your BMR, because muscle mass is a part of that. So if you actually look at it backwards where people are, you know, they're like, oh my, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gaining more weight, whatever. It's just like, well, you know, build muscle because that's going to be affecting your uh, uh, basal metabolic rate in a positive way, then at, like your neat levels, and then obviously just eating enough protein. But what we see is when people stop training, their lean muscle goes down. They stop eating protein as a result because they're just not doing they do all much. the wrong things. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then the neat levels drop because they're ultimately not eating enough food. So they just go, I, I just don't feel like moving much. And then as a result, their BMR starts to drop. So it's just like all of the things that happen uh, that you need to do in order can happen in the reverse. So it's always like, Start with your training. If your training's on point, generally your food's going to be better. If you're eating slightly higher calories, you're going to be moving more. So your neat levels are going to be higher, which is ultimately then going to affect your BMR, which is the biggest component of the energy out anyway. So, Absolutely. so how I break it down is like, 
it's like a domino effect and it's yeah. a downhill if you, if you don't do it correctly. So let's look at total daily energy expenditure and we'll extrapolate out for numbers so your audience understands it. So our B, BMR, our basal metabolic rate, is the energy needed to keep the lights on. And that accounts for about 50 to 60% of the calories you burn per day. Along with that, we have the thermic effect of feeding. So this is the amount of calories our body burns and expends just through the process of digestion. And on average, we're going to see about 10% per day. You know, it's going to burn about 10% of the amount of calories you burn per day. That's going to depend on your intake, your macronutrient split. So for instance, like with protein, we're going to see a 20 to 30% thermic effect of feeding. So, you know, if you were to eat hundred calories from protein, you're going to net out about 70 or 80 calories. Whereas if we were to look at carbs and fats, carbs have a thermic effect of feeding of around five to 10% as compared to fats, which has about zero to 3%. So you're going to get a lot less bang for your buck. You know, with protein, you get more bang for your buck in terms of uh, from a calorie burning component. And then we have meat, and this was something that we hit on the last episode, but this is often the most overlooked component, and it's the most modifiable as well, and it generally will account for between 20 to 25% of someone's total daily energy expenditure. So that's pretty substantial, especially when we then compare it to exercise, because a lot of people think exercise, like you just mentioned, burns a lot more calories than it actually does. Unfortunately, it doesn't. I would lo- I'm would. i an exercise guy, you know what I mean? I'm a former bodybuilder. Like I would love to say you know, exercise sessions burn a ton, but we actually have... Uh, research from Little from 2019, I believe, and he actually showed the net cost of resistance training sessions uh, in addition. So keep in mind, guys, when you go into the gym, if you do an hour training session, you would have been burning calories in that hour. It's not like, you know, you gained an hour in your day and you went to a 25 hour day, you would have been burning calories within that 60 minute session. What he showed was on average men burn about three calories per minute in addition to their their net energy expenditure. So within an hour session of hard training, high volume training, a guy, you know, a regular male will burn around 180 calories where females, because they have a lighter body weight, so they have a less energy cost for moving, they burn about 1.8 calories per minute. So over the course of a 60 minute weight training session, I want to say it's like 84 to 100 calories, give or take. So it's substantially less. And so within that, that only accounts on average, the average person, their exercise activity thermogenesis only accounts for about 5% of their day. However, like Craig just said, everything has a downstream effect. So say that you're, you're no longer exercising. Well, you're going to lose muscle mass. That is muscle accounts for about 69% of our resting metabolic rate or our basal metabolic rate. So within that, you just lowered your your basal metabolic rate, which accounts for 50 to 60% of the calories you burn per day. Within that, we see that resistance training in particular actually increases NEAT levels. So it makes you more active. We could think about it more in a logical perspective because they do have scientific studies on this, but just think about it. If you feel better, you're lighter, you're leaner, you're going to be more likely to be active. You're going to feel better. You're going to want to be out with your kids. Those that are in the gym, like when I work with 40, 50, 60 year olds, they're the individuals that are outside with their kids playing because they feel better. They're not dealing with as many aches and pains. They're not debilitated by what it be metabolic issues or, uh, postural or orthopedic issues. I mean, these guys are still squatting ass to grass. They're not worried about bending over and picking up their kid. Whereas those that come to me that have not been weight training, they are limited physically as well as mentally because they're scared to do these things. And they also don't have the motivation to do so. They feel self-conscious. You know, I live in a beach area. So my clients that live in these type of shore areas that are in shape, they love going to the beach. They want to be running on the, on the beach with their kids, throwing football, they're active. So their neat levels are higher. 
And also within the nutritional component, they're eating a higher protein diet. So they're getting that higher thermic effect of feeding. Whereas when you guys don't do all these things and then you try to diet on top of that. So that's the worst case scenario. And that's where we see a lot of the metabolic adaptation research. And it's funny, you know, I was speaking off air. I, I just recently wrote a column for Alan Aragon's research review, but we were on a call recently and we were kind of going back and forth on some of the errors within nutritional research. And it's not that, you know, Alan is an actual primary researcher. So he's able to comment a little bit greater than I am. And I'm just a coach that takes the research and tries to practically apply it to my clientele. However, they do a lot of things wrong. So a lot of what we speak about when we talk about metabolic adaptation, the numbers, the percentages that we that I speak about, you have to realize that these are generally in sedentary populations with overweight, obese individuals that are not undertaking resistance training nor eating a high protein diet. So they're experiencing greater metabolic adaptations. And that's why we have a lot of people that will take some of this data that they see and they'll mis extrapolate that and say, oh, it's damage. Well, here's the thing, guys. In the average obese clinical population that undertakes a weight loss intervention, they're not resistant training. They're eating 800 calorie liquid diets. So an extreme weight loss. So they're going to incur more metabolic adaptation. They're eating a low protein diet and they're not resistant training. So they see a, a very large loss of lean body mass and they don't have all the other aspects to mitigate metabolic adaptation. So we're seeing greater down regulations. But even within that, if we actually look at the decrease in energy expenditure from most of these studies, the weight loss induced adaptations will generally cause between an extra five to 15% reduction in total calories burned per day, which is essentially an adaptive mechanism, which is put in place to stop us from losing too much weight. So this is what makes fat loss more difficult, the longer you're in a deficit. But it's also important to note that it doesn't make these, these adaptations don't make the process of losing fat impossible, nor does it halt it. You know I mean, so realize that if you guys are doing things in an intelligent, strategic manner, you're going to mitigate a lot of these metabolic adaptations. And also you're going to put yourself in a, a place to succeed both during the diet and after the diet. Mm. Yep. hundred percent. And, and I think that's one of the biggest questions that we get a lot with, with women. They're like, oh, can I, um, you know, especially when they're at a, a level, a level like a low training capability, which is something that I talk about extensively you know and 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 often that gets compared to, to kitty like they're asking all the questions around what they're doing with it what's she doing with her training what's her split and whatever and i'm like the one thing that no one ever asks is how much weight is on the bar because at the end of the day the difference in physique is like you've got one person deadlifting 100 pounds and you've got kitty who's deadlifting 315 pounds their physique is going to be extremely different and that's generally what we see but she is a, she is capable of doing that as a result of eating all the right food, getting enough steps, making your condition, getting enough sleep at night, getting sunlight every day. All of these things, all of these low-hanging fruits that we're talking about, and then people are just like, oh, she just must have the, the, the greatest metabolism for her to be doing all that. And I'm like, no, that's like you, you're missing the forest from the trees here. You're, 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 you're focusing in on one little aspect. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I just wanted to quickly jump in and talk about our seven day eat more, train less, get results challenge. Now, if you're new here or you are someone who has maybe followed for a while, but hasn't taken action, now is the chance to jump in. So we built this challenge for women who want to achieve sustainable results without drastically cutting calories, sugar and carbs, or working out six or seven days per week. So if you are listening to this podcast, it's probably uh, likely that you are like I once was. So I spent many years, 17 years to be exact, doing every bloody diet under the sun, 
and losing weight and then gaining weight and just feeling obsessed with food and tired all the time and, you know, not sleeping well, shitty periods, you know, I just, I felt terrible. Um, and you know, it, it wasn't until I met Craig and Emma that I finally broke free. And then I had to turn what I learned into a program to help women just like me. So we have designed this challenge over years of helping women restore their metabolisms, eat more food and train less to achieve their health and body goals. And unlike other programs you'll find online, it's a holistic approach. So it provides you with everything you need for long-term success. So more energy, more stable moods, better sleep, better digestion, balanced hormones, and of course, long, long-term sustainable weight loss or body composition change. So in the same seven-day challenge, you get a full meal plan, a workout plan for the home and the gym with tr- a full training exercise video library to guide your workouts. You get a metabolically supportive recipe book, advanced supplement guides, support in our Facebook page with a private community. Um, you know, we've got my fitness power videos there and educational videos just to set you up for long-term success. So ladies, It's time to take back control and stop starving yourself and finally get results by eating more and training less. So I'm going to pop the link to purchase the challenge in the show notes. It's a one-off payment, lifetime access of $27. Let's get back to the podcast. And you're not realizing that you're part of the population that doesn't do all of those things that are conducive. And like you said, they they might, might, you know, link a study or something it shows something and i'm like this is completely irrelevant to your situation remember a lot of these studies are done in the worst populations of people right it, it, that, there's a that, difference between ecological or external what's called external validity so anytime that i look at a study or i even cite a study within a podcast that i do or a, a post i always make sure that it, it has some external validity and what i mean by that and in research i'll actually call it ecological validity but a better way to understand it is external validity how does the population and what they did how does the intervention and what they yielded as a result apply to those that you work with or to yourself so when i look at resistance training studies, when I look at contest prep case studies, and I'm working with, you know, high level bodybuilders, I'm looking at these case studies to see what interventions they use. Oh, well, on average, they use 2.2 grams per kilogram of, of lean body mass in terms of uh, protein intake. All right, well, that's a good, uh, a good level of protein intake to mitigate muscle loss and to help with as much muscle preservation during a deficit as possible. They utilize diet breaks, whatever it may be, whatever intervention, then I'm looking at how it extrapolates out and how I can apply it to the population that I work with. And we have to realize research provides guidelines. It doesn't pro- provide us with an actual program as to how to go about you know, customizing a program for the individual. That That is why coaching is both an art and a science. So I'm very big into the science, but I come from 10 plus years of coaching. So I've developed the art and now I take the research and I use that as a guide Guideline. It's like a paintbrush. It, it provides me with a canvas. And then I'm the artist that is, is essentially, you know, uh, cultivating something for the individual client that I'm working with. And I like that you say that, uh, Brandon, because one thing I noticed with a lot of women, and I know that not everyone can afford to invest in coaching, but, you know, like we have hundreds of clients and, you know, like we apply the same overarching concepts and principles to them, but how we do it is specific to the individual because everyone's different. And I think I see some people like they'll just take one little bit of information from a post and go this didn't work for me but it's like you're looking like you need to look at everything like for example like um we've got no kids you know we run our businesses we can be ultra like I can be ultra dedicated to my it's doing a five-day split now I'm getting the steps in every day I'm in bed at 8 30 every night like we have women that have young kids 
you know, like we have to adjust, you know, they wouldn't be able to commit to a five-day program. They may only be able to do eight and a half K steps a day. You know, like I think, you know, it's, it's, I think if, if you actually can invest in coaching, like for example, you wouldn't have every single one of your clients on the same nutrition and same training program, would you? Absolutely not. So yeah. we've, we've spoken off air about this. I'm very individualized and that's just my, my personality, my nature, but I've coached everyone from lifestyle Lisa and gen pop gym to Olympia level competitors. If I applied the same, you know, quote unquote, there's a word I hate within this industry and it's called a protocol. Because a yeah, protocol yeah. is a set and forget type of type of program that you apply to every single person. It's templated. It's cookie cutter. I don't believe in protocols. I believe in principles. So there are certain principles that I believe in. Mm-hmm. I believe in a high protein, uh, what I call the protein anchored diet. I believe in nutrient rich foods. I believe in during a, a energy deficit during a diet, utilizing energy uh, or utilizing low energy density foods so that we get more satiety per calorie so that we could feel full, but we don't break the bank calorically because we have to realize we all have a different calorie budget that we're working with and we have to stay within the constraints. But here's the other thing. I always have people come to me because I've coached such high level individuals and they'll say, I want the optimal program. Well, realize the optimal program for my my Olympian Anthony that I'm taking a stage, you know, on the pro stage soon is not the the optimal program for you that you have three kids, a business, you're super stressed, and you have an hour an hour and a half commute both to work and back every single day. So this is what I tell them: I'm going to design the protocol or the program rather, the program that is optimal within the constraints of your lifestyle. That's what we should be shooting for. So really what I try to aim for is between the the extremes of, or not the extremes, but between the, the errors of what's optimal and what's practical. We meet in the middle and that's what's best for the individual. Mm. And I think too, like, cause I talk to women every day and like, I ask them about, tell me about all the things you've done in the past. And literally I reckon they would have spent thousands of dollars on quick fix, cookie, cookie cutter program supplements. I'm like, it, it spend a few thousand dollars investing in some coaching for however long, like whatever it costs, you will be set up for life because you will learn these principles, how to apply it to yourself. You know, you'll never, you'll know if you put some body fat on, if you're overindulged, how you can lose it without doing extreme things. Like we're going to give you the tools and the knowledge. And I just think, and like we talked about before, like we we're like you, like we constantly invest in coaching and business coaching. Um, and it's, I would never ask someone to do something I haven't done myself, but I just, believe in the value. And even if you look at how much money you've ever spent on all these quick fix diets, invest in a good couple of blocks of coaching, you'll be set for life. Like I, I think you probably have the same thing. Like people wouldn't work with you forever. Like they go off no, and-, and I wouldn't, you know what? I wouldn't want them to, no. because part of my coaching <laughs> is a huge educational component. And here's the other thing, coaching. I always say this about my coaching specifically, because I've worked with many coaches over the years. I've invested in myself. I truly do believe in coaching as an industry and as an art. So I would never a, I'm very much like you guys. I would never ask a client to do something that I haven't tried myself or seen work in practice. That's the first thing. The second thing is I truly value what coaching does. It Coaching is far beyond the knowledge that you have. It is far beyond the degrees that you have, and it's far beyond the experience you have. It is a cultivation of so many things. A coach is a confidant. A coach is a mentor. It's a guide. It's an educator. It's an empower. It, it's, it's so many more things. So I always say within my coaching, I tell my clients this all the time. This, for me, coaching goes beyond the X's and O's of macros and calories for nutrition and sets and reps in the gym. This is about transforming. I I don't need... 
guys, I've been doing this for 10 years. I don't need any more physique transformations. I'm looking for lifestyle transformations. So it is 24 hours out of the day. That's why I speak on so many concepts beyond your normal nutrition and training. A lot of times I don't even hit on these on podcasts anymore because I've covered them before, but I hit on neat. I hit on lifestyle. I hit on stress management. I hit on sleep quality. I hit on, you know, uh, mental limitations, like psychological things, because those are the barriers that are holding back so many people from getting to where they need to be. And here's the thing. If I could positively impact them on other levels besides, I want to educate them on nutrition and training. That's my wheelhouse. That's the Mm. first things that I'm going for. Those are the big rocks and the low hanging fruit that I can knock out of the way the first few months that we work together. Then if I can empower them with further education that they can utilize and transfer into other aspects of their life, but also into their, I always tell my clients, I want you to critically think. I don't want you to just take what I say, like with a, you know, I want you to take everything everyone says with a grain of salt. Because I want you to be able to critically think for yourself. Does this apply to me? You know, and let me really think anytime I hear something, especially from people within our space, I always think, is that correct? Or did they misinterpret that? Or I'm always looking, you know, if someone puts out a citation, I'm going to read it. Mm. You know, I, I say that all the time. And so the reason I do that is because, you know, it's not that I distrust people. That's, that's not the case. It's that I want to be able to disseminate information in the most correct manner possible. And I understand that in human nature, we are, we are you know, naturally, inherently um, predisposed to misinterpreting things, to cognitive biases and things like that. So really what I try to do is take a lot of these complex topics. And the reason that I have a podcast called Chasing Clarity is that's my life's mission. I'm trying to chase clarity and provide it for others. Mm, And I think, you know, like one thing that you get your clients to do, which we do too. And what I found really useful when I found like my business partner, Emma, and, you know, started to learn that I could eat carbs because I did all the stupid shit was actually like tracking the food and tracking the training. And then, you know, tracking all the, how was I feeling? How was I sleeping? How's my energy? You know, how was it affecting the rest of my life? And, you know, looking at that data really helped me go like, like taking the principles, applying to myself and then looking at the results. Like it's like this little test and experiment and, you know, like it wasn't, I I've tested so many different things over the years and found what works best for me. And like you said, it's about thinking and applying it, but also I think giving it enough time, you know, so many women are like, Oh, I'm not seeing the way the scale weight drop after a week, you know, this isn't fucking working, but I'm like, like, and you talked about so much on the last podcast is like, it's probably going to take a good 12 to 18 months to see a really awesome transformation. Like, and that's the thing, you know, we really get into, and I, I apologize for interrupting you, but I'm really passionate about this topic. And, and here's the thing. There are so many people, especially women that have went for these shortcuts and these shortcut solutions, and they've spent a lot of money, but it's in these transient time periods. So they've bought a three month program or a 60 day transformation or this fat loss detox. And so they're not adding it up over the course of years. But women out there, you know, females out there realize this. You might have only spent a couple hundred dollars here and a couple hundred dollars there, but you've wasted a lot of money. But also the most valuable thing you've wasted is your time. You could have been learning. You could have been going through a coach. You could have been taking and learning life skills that you could apply for the rest of your life. And yes, the upfront investment, both from a financial and time perspective, can be overwhelming. Don't get me wrong. I've worked with coaches where I've had to invest a year up front or a mentorship. I've had to pay it all up front. And it's been like a loan almost. Like I'm like, dear Lord, you know. (laughs) But it's always been worth it because I'm not only, you know, I've bought into 
the program. I've bought into the educational experience and I've learned so much in the process. And it's not just that year that you work with a coach. It's the rest of your life that you're able to improve. So be willing to sacrifice upfront and don't just give up your long-term goal for some short term, what you think is short-term satisfaction or a shortcut solution. Cause often those come and they're empty promises. So a lot of people are willing because something is advertised as 60 or 90 days. They say, Oh, well, if it doesn't work, I only wasted three months, but it's this three months and another three months. And now we're five years down the road and you've yo-yo dieted. You've lost a couple pounds. You've regained it. You usually regained more. We see that one third to two thirds of individuals that have lost weight and regained it actually regain more body, body fat and body weight than they lost in the first place. We have statistics on that. So it's like, think about that 33 to 66% of individuals that lose weight will regain all the weight that they lost and more and realize, I know a lot of people out there don't want to hear that, but a lot of us aren't, we're the norm. We're not a special snowflake. So if you think that you're going to be the 34% that doesn't regain the weight, I mean, if we really look at the weight loss statistics within one year of losing weight, between 70, 80% of individuals who lost weight will have regained all the weight that they lost. Within two years, 85% of those individuals will have regained all the weight that they lost. And within a three-year time span of losing a significant amount of weight, 95% of dieters would have regained all the weight that they lost and more. And what is the commonality between these individuals? They go back to the lifestyles that they had previous to weight loss. And they expect that because they invested three, six months, you know, a short-term process and lost weight, that that's going to stay off. But if you don't transform not only your lifestyle, but your habits, your behaviors, your mindset, and you don't educate and empower yourself through the process, you're always going to return to right back to where you were, or maybe even worse. Mm. And so one thing I was asking, I'm like, so like, what do you think it is that I do now that's different to what you're doing? Like, you're not going to get to your goal. Let's say you achieve your desired body composition and health goals. What do you think you're going to stop doing? Like you're not, you're going to keep doing the same things that got you there. It's like you say, you don't, it's not like you do this thing for six months and then you go back to drinking piss every weekend and having shitty sleep and binge eating and skipping meals. It's like, you talk about, it's a, it's, you literally, I changed from this drug taking, binge eating, piss, you know, drinking piss every weekend, like to what I am now. And this, hence why I look the way that I do and you like, why you look like you do and why all our clients who are, you know, successful in transforming the health and body, but, but maintaining it is because they've maintained the lifestyle and behavior habits. Absolutely. And I think I do want to really, I want to dive a little bit deeper on that because I think that could be very overwhelming, especially Mm. if there's someone out there that's listening and saying, well, I can't be as disciplined as Kitty. I'm not as motivated or, you know, I'm not like Brandon and and Craig and Kitty. Here's Mm. the thing, guys, what gets you to your fat loss goal is not the same things you're going to have to do long-term. So for instance, I'm going to extrapolate this out a little bit. If you were at a 500 calorie deficit for the course of 12 weeks and you lost, say over the course of 12 weeks, you lost 12, 10 or 12 pounds. That energy deficit that you're in, you're not going to have to maintain that long term. If you are with a smart coach and you take a strategic approach, they're going to reverse diet you out. They're going to build back your maintenance calories. We're going to increase your total daily energy expenditure as we put more energy into the system. Listen to the neat podcast because I speak about eating more and and, um, moving more. So it's not that you're going to do the same exact things. You're not going to eat the same exact foods. You're not going to you know, be at the same caloric restriction or in that same restricted mindset. However, you're going to do a lot of the same behaviors. So you're going to eat nutrient-dense foods most of the time. You're going to eat pro- high protein most of the time. You're going to make sure that you stay hydrated. You're going to make sure that you prioritize sleep quality, that you manage your stress, yeah, and that you stay active. Yeah. You, you maintain healthy habits that you should have been doing 
since day one. However, you weren't. However, you're going to reap the rewards of long-term consistent habits. So I want you to realize it's not that we're promoting you're going to stay dieting forever. That's not the mindset that I take on with clients, but I am known for getting people lean and keeping them lean. And they maintain their results because I make this a lifestyle. It's not dieting as a lifestyle because there's a very bad misconception or misconnotation with dieting. People see dieting as a short-term fix of, of restriction where they get to a goal. Here's the thing, guys. If you actually look at the Greek word for diet, it comes from dieta. Dieta means way of life. So the actual inception of this word came from a lifestyle. And a lot of people don't realize that because we have so many things within the industry with our myth mythologies. Think about taking this on as a lifestyle. So yes, you might have to restrict a little bit more in terms of your energy requirements for the day to get to a goal, but that's not a long-term process. However, the long-term process will be maintaining a lot of the habits that led you to success. And it's like with anything, success leaves clues. So for instance, if we were managing a budget and we realized that if we save a certain amount per week, we hit our monetary and our financial goals, we would continue doing that. We wouldn't keep spending more than we make mm. and expecting to get rich. You'd be broke. Mm. So we have to think about our calories as the same thing. So if you want to expand your cal you know, expand your calorie bank, your calorie allotment, you move more. You engage in more activities. You add more muscle. You do things that are additive and stop thinking about things in a subtractive form. During a diet, you're going to have to subtract some calories. That's how we induce a deficit. That is a natural physiological process that's necessary for the process of fat loss. But once you're done with that dieting, that active fat loss phase, we start building your intake up. We start focusing on building muscle. We get you in the gym more often. We get you more consistent with progressively overloading training. And we build you. We add in things. We add in protein. We add in fruits and vegetables. These are all additive things. So if you could think about an expansive mindset on the last podcast, I talked, I spoke about an abundance mindset. Let's think about what we can add to our lifestyle that are going to be better it rather than only focusing on the fact that, all right, during this dieting phase, I'm hungry, or I'm not able to eat as many hyperplatable foods as I want. Think about the long-term benefit you get from going through that short-term restriction and how you're going to transfer over the lessons learned during that fat loss phase to be able to maintain this for life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's really uh, an interesting point on that. I actually had a, a conversation with a client yesterday. She's been uh, been in the program like three weeks, and you know, for her, it's you know, coming from you know, she's got quite a bit of weight to lose, doesn't have a lot of training experience, just doing all like she needs to undo everything. She did a check in, and nothing's really sort of changed all that much, and whatever. And she's like, you know, like I'm I'm feeling a little bit deflated, you know, nothing's really changing, whatever. And I just was just like, okay remember this what i'm asking you to do is create a fundamental shift in the way you live because how you were doing things fundamentally is what got you in this position so what we need to work towards is undoing everything and and repackaging in a way that's conducive to you getting this result so right now you need to take away the expectation and like look at the wins do you hit a step target i'm like Fantastic. You were basic when we when we worked it out after that first week, she was averaging like 1500 steps a day. And I'm like, now you, you're getting 8,000. I'm like, that's a big jump. I'm like, that's a great huge win. victory. You know, she's she's commenting more. She's like, I'm really making an effort to go to bed. And I'm like, that means you you're having this awareness there. You're creating this awareness that I need to make the effort to go to bed. I'm like, that is a huge win. I said, yes, the food planning is is a and for, for 99.9% .9 of people is always the hardest part. But I said, you're making the effort. You're putting your foods in the tracker. I can see the foods that you're choosing. And like, that's a way better win than what you were doing. 
So I'm like, I'm not expecting you to set the world on fire in the first three weeks because what I'm, I'm asking you to do is completely change your whole lifestyle and that's going to take time. All right. But a every lot of people week, get scared of that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because the they're, they're just we like, have, we this is how I'm doing things. Because this is my husband. He does things like this. And I'm like, okay, we're going to just, we need to have a conversation with him about these are your goals and whatever in here. How can we work this in, in compromising with what he wants and what your kids want and, and all these sort of things. But I'm like, it's going to get better. You're going to get these mini wins. And we've got to look at it as all of these mini wins, not just this, oh, I'm a little bit flat because I thought I would have lost more weight. I'm like, that is one metric in a giant pool of things that you can get better with every single week, right? So, you know, when we say to people like you sort of mentioned before, you know, like a true transformation takes 12 to 18 months. I'm like, well, it's not just about the weight on the scale. It's about the fundamentals of how you are living, like these are habits, these are behaviors, these are lifestyle things that just require just basic change, awareness, and, and just going, okay, I need to start going to bed a little bit earlier. Like I need to have something that kind of gives me these triggers to kind of go, oh shit, I need to get up and go for my walk. I need like, like these are all things that you have to add in and change. And yeah, I agree. It is scary for a lot of people because they go, fuck. And I'm like, yeah, but we don't need to do it all right now. This is what we're working. We have towards. to just work towards these things. Yeah, you know, I, I always tell clients, though, so. I always tell my new clients, especially because it is a lifestyle change. I always tell them nothing changes unless you change. You change the way you do things, the way you approach things, and the way you view things. And here's the unsexy thing about change: is that we don't see immediate gratification. We don't see immediate results. And a lot of people get discouraged by that. They don't see an immediate change. They would rather me slash their calories in half and put them on a restrictive diet and they see this quick, rapid fat loss change, or they would rather me put them on keto. So they lose all this glycogen and they lose all this scale weight the first couple of weeks. And it's an unsustainable approach. But I always tell them, listen, when you make actual, you know, real world change within your habits, your behaviors, your awareness, the things that you do on a daily basis, the steps, the water intake, the hitting the nutrient dense foods, your protein target for the day. Those are things you're not going to see an immediate change in one or two weeks. I can't promise you any overnight results. However, there's a compound effect to these changes that you've made that are going to benefit not only your body composition, your health, your muscle mass, but also your long-term success and your ability to adhere to this program because anyone can go on a restrictive diet for three to four weeks where they completely cut carbohydrates out. But what's going to happen at the birthday party or when your kids have an event or when you're the school mom and you bring cupcakes to, you know, your, your kids, you know, I want to make clients resilient in the face of a very, you know, let's think about our modern food environment. It is highly, you know, it's filled. We have the most accessibility to cheap, convenient foods that are calorie dense. And so if you've put yourself on such a restrictive program where you go through these cycles of binging and restricting, and you've also down-regulated so many internal processes where you are adapted in you know a very negative way, you are going to be more susceptible to that rebound. And then also you haven't ingrained those habits, those behaviors that will help you get back onto the, the bandwagon once you've fallen off. You're going to go right back to where you were previously and probably worse and regain all the weight that you had lost in the first place. So I'd rather start with subtle changes, but we're changing everything. It's not just nutrition. You know, I always say my, my coaching isn't just about nutrition. It's about nutrition, training, lifestyle, physical activity, mindset. It is everything because this is all encompassing. If I was only to change one aspect of my client's lifestyles, if I only change nutrition, we'd only have, you know, a certain percentage of a likelihood of success. We have to realize when everything changes, everything changes for the better. Yep. Yep. hundred percent. I think, uh, and, and that process, you know, coming back to what you said earlier about, you know, the mom who's got the, 
the three kids and she's, you know, she's working full time or she's running a business. Like her life is really, really stressed. Like it, it, whether it's that person or like Kitty mentioned before, so obviously we don't have kids, we're running our business or so we've got a bit more time. The, the, the principles remain the same. It's just for that particular individual, there are going to be some constraints. It's just like you can't train as much. And we kind of know from a, just from a training effect point of view, you know, if you're training intensely enough with a high amount of effort on per set basis, if you can handle a bit more volume, you should do that because that's generally going to lead to a greater stimulus over time. But for some people, that just might mean they can't do it to that level because they simply just don't have the time to do so. So it's not that you can't make progress. It just means that over time, it's just going to probably take a little bit longer because you're working with more obstacles that you essentially need to overcome or you're more constrained to be able to getting the optimal, if we use that word loosely, compared to someone who doesn't have those constraints. But it doesn't mean that you can't get there. And all of the principles, all of the things that you need to do to undo all of the the, the bad situations that you, you put in now where you're massively overweight and you're, you're tired and you're stressed, all those same things need to be undone and, and need to be applied to everyone regardless. So it's just- Absolutely. And I, I really think we have to look at change and progress in relative terms. So I always say, because I work with people from such different demographics in terms of my clientele, I always tell them, listen, don't compare what my pro is doing or what my competitor is doing and the progress that they're making. They live a completely different lifestyle. So I have an individual that I work with both. I'm his coach and I'm also, I do a private mentorship with him and he has been with me for years. So what they're seeing, the progress they're seeing now is three years in the making. This is also 15 years into a training career. This is also a private mentorship where we're on a call 90 minutes every single week. So he's learned as as quick of a rate of progress I've learned in my education, he's learning very closely to that. And so you have to realize his investment, his time investment in the gym and out of the gym is three times the amount of some of my other clientele. We could never, you know, we can never compare that rate of progress. So I always tell my clients, listen, we need to compare you to yourself. It's one V one. It's one versus one. It's you versus yourself. And what are you changing? What can you do better within the constraints of your lifestyle? And that's why I always say it's about optimizing within the constraints of your lifestyle. I want you to be a better version of yourself. If you can improve upon your habits and your behaviors, it's always great to have aspirations and to have goals. And maybe there is someone on Instagram or there is a clientele. You know, you guys might have some clients that, you know, you post and other clients of yours get motivated. So I have a team of individuals and they all support one another. They're cheering each other on. And there's, you know, some clients I have they're 45 years old. You know, it's a business owner. That's a female. She's cheering on my 25 year old new competitor that just competed this weekend and killed it. Mm -hmm. And so we're all a part of a team. We want to see each other prosper, but we realize because I've reinforced this as a coach, that their rate of progress is going to look differently. However, their relative progress, as long as they're progressing within the context of themselves and they are doing their best. So they're nailing their sleep, their steps, all the, you know, we, we utilize, I utilize a lot of the same principles, but someone might be hitting 7,000 steps. That's why I said on our last podcast, high flux is in relation to your level of activity. I have certain people that are 7,500 steps, high flux, and I'm at 15,000. It's, it's differences. This isn't a game. It shouldn't be a game of comparison. However, fitness has become that. It's unfortunate because we forget that this is a singular journey in which we should support one another, but it shouldn't be a comparative journey because we all have different life situations. We all have different constraints. We all have different physical and mental limitations as well as time constraints. And so we need to focus on being the best version of ourselves, improving upon our own habits and behaviors, and just focusing on our own rate of progress. So just like Kitty might be living lifting a certain amount in the gym, your clientele can't expect to lift the same amount as she has because she's put in so many more years in the gym. However, if they're going up 
two and a half kilograms every week, they're still progressively overloading. They're still doing, a, they're still following a lot of the same principles that Kitty is and seeing success with. However, it's at a different rate. And mm. so that's a victory in and of itself. So we have to realize, we have to look at things from our own viewpoint. And I know it's really hard. And that's, that's honestly one of the utilities of coaching. You know, we had spoken off air about the fact that Coaches need coaches. Uh, I, I believe all people need coaches. And obviously I'm a little bit biased because this is my profession and something I truly believe in, but I have coaches. And the reason for that is we cannot detach ourselves emotionally from our own process. So realize it's really hard, especially if you don't have experience with this, to be objective with yourself, just like a surgeon wouldn't operate on their child, just like a psychiatrist wouldn't treat, mentally treat one of their, their family members. We cannot objectively look at our food and at our training and make all the adequate and the necessary changes because there are going to be times that psychologically we're in a bad place and we want to emotionally eat, but that's going to undo our deficit. When we have a coach, we can discuss that with someone. We can have a confidant, which we bounce ideas or our thoughts or our misconceptions off of. It's really hard to do that with ourselves. So realize you guys aren't alone in this process. I know it seems overwhelming, but there are people, there are professionals that want to educate. They want to empower and they want to help you. And it's, you know, it's it, like we were speaking about change. It can be often overwhelming, but if you invest into the process, not only of coaching, but into the process of transforming both your physique and your life, you're going to have someone to walk you along the, the process as well as guide you and really shortcut. You know, everyone's looking for a shortcut. Well, coaching is like the best shortcut you can get because you're getting an education behind it. You're learning skills that you can apply for the rest of your life. And you're also having someone to instill knowledge and their own experience, which is going to essentially provide a shortcut to a result that you wanted. So if doing it on your own was going to take you three years, maybe it takes you a year. Mm, and I really like, um, just to touch on this quickly is, you know, when I speak to women, I ask them, you know, like, what do you, what do you think are the top two to three reasons as to why you haven't been able to achieve what we've spoken about, you know, whatever their goals are. And usually they say, number one is they just don't know how, like they don't know a sustainable method. You know, they've tried all the quick fixes. They know how to lose weight quickly, but they don't know how to do it in a healthy and sustainable way. Um, and then number two, they say accountability and support because it's so easy for them to, if they don't know that they have to check in or they don't have someone to support them to, I'm not going to do my steps today. I'm not going to do my food prep this week. It's easy to quit on yourself. But when you've got that other person there, honestly, like I just, I actually feel like that's, I mean, obviously you have to give them the right fucking method. We can't go, like you say, put them on keto and 1200 calories, but really it's that accountability and support. And, you know, I would consider myself a pretty driven, motivated person, but like we've always invested in business coaching, always. Like this year we invested the most money we've ever had. And you know what? It stings you if you don't do the work. Because <laughs> you, you know, like if you if you invest, you're bought in financially, physically, right. mentally, Physically, yeah. It, it is about the buy-in. I, I find that heavily with clients. You know, I have a certain amount of uh, a time constraint that I make sure that's a minimum requirement. And years ago, I didn't do that, and now it's both based on demand, but it's also because if someone just wants to come and work with me for for eight weeks. They're not looking for long-term change. They aren't looking for actual results. And if I'm going to, I invest, I always tell every client that comes on, you give me a hundred, I'm going to give you more than a hundred percent. I tell every single person that because I am truly invested into the process. I want to transform these individuals' lives. However, if I see that they're not invested, I'll tell them, hey, we're not a good fit because I can't give you more. I can't get these results for you. I can walk, I can hold your hand. I can get you through the process. However, you need to be as bought into me and this process and, and believe in yourself as much as I do in you. Yeah. And if you like, you buy a $27 program versus you spend two and a half thousand dollars on a block of coaching, trust me, 
you're going to be much more motivated to do the work. Like Absolutely. you will. And even we, because we've been doing this for quite a number of years and we've tested different things and challenges and the people that pay the most 99% of the time are the most committed. Like even and our business. usually get the best results too. They do. They do. And even our business coach said to us, they're like, oh, you guys are a fucking dream. You know, we hardly hear from you. You show up, you do the work because we, it's like, you're not going to spend that much money and, most people i mean there are still some people that still don't do it yeah, there's, but there's you're still... not you're gonna do it yeah but it, it. it is it is very much an, and there, there is at times where um you know people will pay a lot and they're just like well i paid all the money now so it should all just happen <laughs> and you know my response to that is like look i can't want this any more for you than you want it for yourself right so at the end of the day like you know, I mentioned before about changing all these fundamentals. I'm going to lay out all of the things. I'm here to steer the ship, but at the end of the day, you need to drive it. So your ability to make this progress is going to come back to your ability to be invested in it. And therefore, if you're invested in it, you're generally going to start asking better questions. And with better questions becomes better your, your ability to connect the dots. And therefore, we work as a team to continue to head in the direction that we need to. Naturally, you're going to fall off. There are going to be times where things, but as long as you're just upfront and tell me, hey, this happened on the weekend. You know, I kind of felt a bit shit on time, but this is what I did about it the next day. I'll be like, great response, man. Absolutely. I'm not perfect either. I fall off, but it's just that attitude and that extreme ownership, which is a great book, by the way, Jocko Willink. If no one's ever read that, get that shit. It's amazing. Uh, That, uh, it, it's it's really like it comes back to you, and the more of those wins you realize that it really is on you, then that just in, like reinforces this whole point of like, if I'm making all of these wins, this accumulative effect is ultimately by gonna get me to where I'm I want to be ultimately anyway, and I think that changes the perception of what's actually required. It's not just about what the number on the scales say. It's not just about the diet. It's about everything and a cumulative effect of getting more wins, way more wins than there are losses. So are you giving me the wind up? Are you literally? Because <laughs> I'm like, I've got a call. I know Brandon's got a call, but I just want to finish yeah. this. And guys, I think you will agree with me. Like, you know, Brandon, you touched on it. People will listen to this and go, oh my God, it's so much change. It's, you know, lots of discipline, but it's so life changing. Like, I can't. It is so worth it. It it is like you you going to the gym and lifting, like becoming so capable and strong. I think, I mean, obviously I'm a woman, like, you know, like it's all the same for men, but just building muscle and getting strong and feeling capable. Like it really does flow into all other areas of life. Like it's taught me so much and made me feel strong and powerful. Like, okay, fuck, I can deadlift a hunt, whatever, how much can deadlift. I can do anything. Yeah, you know, absolutely. like it's not just the physical transformation. Like it's, and that's probably why we're also with the three of us are so passionate about it because it literally, like these people, it changes. It'll, it will change your life. Like you will not regret it. Hey, absolutely. And that's uh, that's one thing. That's why I'm so into not only the physical aspect of coaching. I'm also into the mental aspect because I'm able to educate and empower people not only to build their bodies, but to build their mindsets. And that's something that is a skill. And that is something that I've been very blessed to be able to give on to others that they can apply to every aspect of their life, to building a business, to their relationships, to, yeah. you know, coaching their kids, you know, every single thing. When I have, you know, I have a, a big thing within my check-ins, which is list one positive thing that happened to you this week. And I get the most amazing things. I get pictures mm-hmm. of their children. I get, you know, they were able to run on the beach with their kid or they were able to go to the park and la- you know, there was people that I had that were type two diabetic and obese when they came to me and they weren't able to do anything with their kids. And they had this unbearing, you know, 
you know, unbearable sense of guilt, not being able to be an active component of their child's life. And they've transformed that. And that is something, you know, they, they always, you know, thank me for that, but that is such a fulfilling feeling as a coach, being able to not only help, help this person lose 50, 60 pounds, you know, put their type two diabetes in remission, get them off glucophage or some of their type two diabetes medications, but also to impact the impact that they've had on their kids yes. to be able to get their children eating better, to get their partner eating better, to improve their relationship because they're happier with their self, their body image. So now their relationship, now they're not scared to get naked in the bed, you know, and they're, you know, they're, they're having sexy time. They're going on vacations. They're, you know, they're, they're hitting their, you know, their significant other with some new laundry like it's stuff like that these are victories and guys anyone out there just i would really encourage you to not have self-limiting beliefs whether it be around your metabolism or any of your genetic or physical or mental limitations and really own up to the fact that we are all in control of not only transforming our bodies but transforming our lives let the work that you put in the gym be a metaphor for what you can do outside of it Oh, I fucking love that. That's brilliant. Good way to finish the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on again. I think I actually enjoyed this podcast more than the first one, I think. I'm glad to hear it. I love this conversation. <laughs> and uh, guys, I'll drop all of uh, Brandon's links below. Follow him on Instagram. Check out, you know, I'll just put everything there. Check him out. He's awesome. Follow him. Um, and can I just say too that I've just been checking out those bloody biceps the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my. Craig, I hope you were looking too, my man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got the I've got the winter shirt on at the moment. It's fucking I've got the beanie on and everything. It's fucking cold here. You're in the you're in the summertime. I'm so jealous. But yes. oh, it's it's in 91 degrees right now, guys. Oh, Soaking it hot. in. Yeah. Well, thanks so much. Uh, thanks again for coming on. And um, I am sure we will, you know, have you on again. Absolutely.